Welcome to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dear Alice. We have a special treat for you today. We have Thomas Pheasant um, with us today. He is what um, ArcDigest named the no, Dean a, of American Design. Yeah. <laughs> so we felt like well, one, one of the deans of American. One design. of the deans of American. Not, design. not me. <laughs> not a capital T. Just one of the. I like it. I like it better the way I said it, Thomas. Okay, okay. <laughs> just kidding. That's just fine. lean in, lean yeah. in. Also, um, those of you that are real uh, design know-it-alls, um, you've heard of the AD one hundred list. Thomas has been on it since the year two thousand. <laughs> Cheers. Thomas does it ever get old? <laughs> no, it never gets old. Just being extraordinary. Um, so Thomas is a huge hero of Suzanne and mine, and anybody that is a designer has been obsessed with his work and probably even has studied him. Um, I'll have you know that Thomas's book, Simply Serene, is it's called Thomas Pheasant, Simply Serene. It's my favorite book that I own, and I always have it in the, on the top of the stack on my coffee table. It's on my mantle half the time, my center hall table. But the cover of it is so beautiful that it just sort of elevates whatever it's with. It also looks incredible open in a book cradle because every page is extraordinary. So... Um, if you don't have the book, I highly recommend it. And those of you that are, haven't heard of Thomas Pheasant yet, um, check him out on Instagram. Um, Thomas is spelled like normal pheasants, P-H-E-A-S-A-N-T. Um, so check out his work as we're talking about him and you'll feel as lucky as we do to get to hear his voice today. Um, so with that, Thomas, I left out a whole lot more, but... I didn't want to make this introduction too long. We have a bunch of questions that we're excited to ask you. Great, um, great. Yeah, we'll get into it. But Sue, you had a little sentiment you wanted to say about. Oh, yeah. I think the magic of a podcast, you know, when we do get to like look through these beautiful images and read about these amazing designers, um, that only gets us like halfway there. Um, podcasts are awesome because we get to hear their voice. And so I was just so excited for today because I'm like, every time we do one of these interviews, we hear the magic of the person. And I feel like we've talked to Thomas briefly just before we hopped on here. And he's magical. Mm -hmm. And I'm just excited for you guys to hear the magic of Thomas Pheasant and for us all to learn about what inspires you. And you've been doing this for a while. And so, yeah, just kind of the magic moments that got you here. Yeah, um, just really quick and sort of establishing who you are for those who haven't heard of you. Um, can you just tell us like um, how you got started, um, how long you've been interested in, you started in architecture, right? And then fried right, into right. interiors. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in the suburbs of, well, I was born in Washington, D.C., but I grew up in the suburbs. And, you know, we didn't have interior designers and architects driving through our neighborhood. It was a very nice suburban lifestyle and where um, moms did the decorating. And if, if you want to, you know, they put the houses together. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have any real exposure, but I did have the good fortune of being growing up outside of DC and having all of these uh, field trips in elementary school to the National Gallery. I talk about this all the time. And I remember being a kid, being, uh, it was third grade. So I was seven, uh, in nine, I guess. And um it was my first trip to the National Gallery and we all had to go in single file and, you know, you had to be real quiet. And I, I, this is the truth, but I remember standing in that line in the rotunda, looking up and thinking, oh, wow, I, want, I would like to live here. And I remember going home and I remember going home and telling my parents, 
and them staring at me like, okay, you know, that's great. <laughs> but it really had an impression. But what's so amazing, you know, all of these years later, and I still, I frequent the National Gallery because it's one of my favorite buildings in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I go in there and I feel that, that same feeling. Mm-hmm. That is, that's the honest truth. You know, it's this, this like connection to beauty and, and trying to understand somebody's vocabulary and taking it in and having it sort of resonate. Mm-hmm. And, and me building a career on that, you know, letting, letting that idea of sort of aspirational architecture and this sort of higher, these higher thoughts, you know, try to seep into my work. And if they do, I- I'm thrilled. But, um, but when I go in there and I always take my, I always drag all my friends in there, um, I just become that, you know, nine-year-old kid just in awe. And I think that's what interior should do. And it doesn't have to be a grand, you know, John Russell Pope museum. It could be, you know, a country residence or something. But there's this this thing when you walk into a space and you just kind of get it and you just, you know, it's not about a style. It's not about a color. It's about this personal connection. And so and if you can tap into that as a creative person, if you can tap into that within your own voice um, it's, it really gives you, you know, strong legs mm-hmm. and, and people connect to that, you know? Yeah. So, exactly. so I started, so, so I started, my idea was when I got out of high school, I, I, uh, I started architecture and I loved it. And then, um, I, during my second year, uh, I was giving a presentation to a professor and it was a one-on-one you had to like, and it was a very intimidating, um, experience because the professor makes no comments he doesn't talk Mm -hmm. and you just go in you do the presentation you know by yourself like a monologue Mm -hmm. and then you go away and then the next week you go in for a review so when i went back in for the review he was very was very complimentary and he said tom you know you're the only student who took me inside and then brought me back outside and he said your attention to that your, your focus and your attention makes me think that you should really round out your studies. We have an incredible interior design department here, and I think you might want to try a couple of their classes next year. So I walked away and I was totally confused because I was, I was like, well, does, does he mean that I shouldn't be an architect and I should like, like search elsewhere? But I knew I was going to, you know, I respected him and I knew that I would be seeing him on and off till I graduated. Mm-hmm. So the next next semester, I took two interiors classes. And I swear within the first week, it was like this whole door opened up for me. And I really connected to it. And it was like, and since that moment, I've, I've just had this like road that I'm very clear about where I want to go. And um, unfortunately, it's been a long road, right? And I'm still traveling. But, but, I, it's, but that's true. And I, again, it's that... Um, I felt very fortunate at, at that time in my life that I connected because I think I would have gotten there, but uh, who knows? It was just the okay. sensitivity of one person guiding, turning my head a little bit. And so, and then, so I completed my studies at the University of Maryland and then uh, got a job. I was, I, I needed to get to make money. So I decided I'm going to get a job at one of the showrooms because I'll meet all the designers. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got a job with, uh, it was, at the time in D.C., there was a community of, in, of showrooms in Georgetown. 
And I got a job at Duncan and Huggins, which was a great showroom. And they had like Dungia and Larson and really, really wonderful lines. Mm-hmm. And I was there only there about three months. And I heard a designer come in and he said, um, he asked the manager of the showroom, he says, I'm looking for an assistant. You know, if you hear of anybody, let me know. Of course, they said, well, we, we will, but, you know, we don't know of anybody right now. So I looked his num. I looked him up on a Rolodex. That's when we had Rolodexes, you know? <laughs> You're bold, sure. Thomas. So, I like this. Do we have to explain what that is? <laughs> okay, anyway, I looked up on the Rolodex and I got I took the card out of the Rolodex. I, I leave the office. I make a call and I said, oh, I was... I just heard you're looking for an assistant. This was like on a Thursday. And he said, yes. He says, could you come in tomorrow morning? And I said, well, I can't, I can't, but I could be here on, I could meet you on Monday morning. So he said, fine. So I spent literally 48 hours putting together a fake portfolio. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I don't think I saw it. I, I, and I had to actually, I went out and bought a portfolio. I had to buy one of those big black zipper things. Uh-huh. Yep. So I have one of those. I, so do I. Yep. So, so I had color boards and drawings and all kinds of stuff. So, so I go to the interview and he's like, oh, nice to meet you. And he, he asked me like four questions and he said, when can you start? And I said, well, do you want to see my portfolio? So he did, I think just to humor me, he did. He went through it in like two seconds. But, um, but anyway, I took the job. And so I, I finished school, took the job, and it was a great, uh, again, another fortunate moment for me. It was great because he was a great businessman. From a creative standpoint, he was very creative, but he wasn't, I didn't um, sort of connect to his vision for interiors, mm-hmm. but he had, a, he, he had wonderful clients. He was a wonderful person. And he opened me, he introduced me to every showroom and every antique store in New York. Mm-hmm. And I learned, I stayed with him for three years and, um, and just immeasurable what I learned from him. And the, the most valuable thing was I learned how to run a business, which wasn't what I even thought I was needed. But, it, but, you know, quite honestly, it is the most important thing. I mean, you're either creative or you're not, but you the most creative person will have a rough road if they can't coordinate their business, right? It's because it is the interior design from our aspect is a business. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, so that's how I, I got started. Amazing. Well, that's that so fun really to hear cool. about. I know I love that. I'm, I'm going off course a little bit, but when you're talking about when you started in architecture and then kind of found your way into interior design, how often do you find, I mean, again, I'm thinking about the national gallery and about just interior architecture. I think that's, also, I think fair to say that we're all interior architects mm-hmm. when we're right. able to start from the beginning. Is right. that where are you usually, I imagine you're usually starting with that and you're a part yeah. of the interior architecture as well as probably the exterior. Yeah. Right. I imagine right. you redline well, the heck out of those plans when they hand them yeah. to you. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're, I think that, you know, to me, if a space is beautiful, mm-hmm. it, you know, for the furnishing is just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. And a space should be beautiful regardless of what the client, you know, if I'm talking about working with clients, regardless whether they want to introduce color or antiques or keep it modern. But if the space is great, you don't have to do a lot. It's just like the interior comes together in a way that is so much more than a beautifully decorated space, you know? Yeah. So and I've never been I've never decoration is, a, is an important part of what I do. But I've never relied on my decoration to carry the 
space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, looking at spaces and studying them and um, is the most exciting part of the, of the project for me. Yeah. So it's, it's the most time consuming, certainly. Amen. For sure. Do you feel that yeah. you guys do more remodel or more new build? Um, well, be, you know, living in Washington, because mm-hmm. we have so many great old houses, we do a lot yeah. of remodel, right? Yeah. But also as I've, tr- as most of our, uh, a majority of our work is outside of DC. So right now, so um, I actually doing rebuild is remodeling is a little easier because there's a vocabulary there. So you kind of, yeah. regardless of what the client's telling you, you know what the voice should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're starting from scratch, oh my God, it's an analyst. I mean, it's a deep well. Yeah. So it's that commitment, you know? Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> I but I, mean, well. I enjoy, I enjoy it all. And I, you know, we, we're, we're, we do, right. We're, we're doing a, um, a house, for clients I've done a number of projects for in Las Vegas. And um, it's a, it's kind of my dream house. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, they, we had looked, we had talked to a number of wonder, wonderful architects and the clients had asked me, um, you know, what would I do if I was going to design the house? So I said, well, let me, let me think about that. So I created this sort of uh, modern classical uh, space building and um and the i just i've fallen in love with it and it's it's very you know it's i'm it's a dream job and so you know doing that and then so i'm focusing on that and then i'm turning around and i'm i'm back at blair house here in dc and i'm doing restoration on four rooms right now wow okay and so tell the tell our audience um what blair house is well, Blair House is, um, it's the president's guest house. So it's America's guest house. Mm-hmm. So it's right located right across the street from the White House. America's and whenever house. the president <laughs> invites a uh, head of state uh, to Washington as the presidential guest, mm-hmm. the, they would stay there. And it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm from Washington. I knew of Blair House. I had never been in it. And, but actually Blair House is a, it's a collection of four houses, row houses, there is an original building, and then the houses uh, that that are budding up to it have been taken over over time. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. It's it's you know, it's you step into the history of that that building. It's not a museum because and because it needs to function as a hotel basically, mm-hmm. but it's filled with history and it's filled with collections from you know the past few hundred years and so many important people in our world have slept there and been there or worked there. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's interesting when I was brought in, I was brought in by this wonderful woman, Lucky Roosevelt, who's been steering um, the Blair house since the mid eighties. And um, wow. yeah. And so she brought in, uh, this is, go- this is going off on a Blair, Blair, uh, Blair house tangent, but originally they did a major renovation in the eighties and they brought in a Mario Boada, and Mark oh, yes. Hampton, wow. two of the two very big, big cool. Huge names. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's very big cool. feet. Yeah. <laughs> Follow. They did, yeah. So they, you know, so there's a lot of rooms. I mean, there are 17 bedroom suites, and yeah. it's, it's a big, lots of sitting rooms and conference rooms and dining rooms. Um, so what they did was they actually pulled room numbers out of a hat to decide who would do what, which which designer would do what space. Wow. So. 
And I'm so that was way... I'm surprised they didn't want one designer to do it all just to keep it really fluid. I think it would have been... I think probably that would have been impossible. I mean, it was a major... Too big of a job. It's, Overwhelming. It's, it's too big of a job. Okay. Actually, I think to, to have divided it by two was an enormous undertaking by those two giants. So, okay. yeah. so, um, so anyway, so they, they did it. So then now many, many years have gone by and different designers of note have gone in and mm-hmm. um, because it's hard, it's a hard used building. Mm-hmm. Um, rooms have been updated, been redesigned, redecorated. And, and a lot of people have brought in. Well, about um, seven years ago, um, I met with Lucky Roosevelt invited me to, to their house and we walked through it and I was, I was stunned because I was, um, you know, it was a little bit like, again, I was that nine-year-old kid walking through the national gallery feeling, how did I end up here? So, um, so anyway, so she, we discussed the rooms and we talked about her vision and, and what I thought. And so she, they hired me to come in and over the last six years, I would say, six and a half years, um, we've slowly redone, I, you know, maybe 10 bathrooms, eight suites, uh, two drawing rooms, because they only have the month, you plan a year in advance, the only time the house is closed is the month of August. So you have to have, whatever you're going to do has to fit into that 30 days, because there is not 31, there are no 31 days. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, you know, it's been an exciting challenge. And, uh, Right now, one of the rooms we're doing is we're doing the Truman study, which is on the main floor. It's a main room. And it's, it's, um, Truman used it as his office when the White House was being renovated. But so it's gone through a number of changes. We're, we're doing some major changes in the room. And, uh, one of the more exciting things was I had this idea. Well, one of my things is, you know, Blair House is full of antiques and history and donations, and that's all fantastic. But my, my comment to the board was, you know, we've captured a past, which is important, but what about our now? What about the Americans, the, ta- the craftsmen, the artists? I mean, why aren't they represented in this guest house, you know? And since, yeah. you know, we have, it's not a museum, so we have that freedom. Mm-hmm. So we're, so that was very well received. So as we're moving forward with the new rooms that we're going to be, we're approaching, um, we're starting with the Truman and, and I had this idea. I saw this incredible map of Washington from 1928 and it was just the most beautiful saturated colors. And, and I, I thought, what if we went to Elizabeth Eakins in New York, who, who was like the ultimate rug weaver and ask her, we'll design this map of Washington based on now. And we'll use it as a rug design made by an American craft craftsman here to, to launch the concept of the room. So I'm actually been working with, uh, with Elizabeth and I don't know if people know of Elizabeth Akins, but she's really a miracle to our, to our industry. She's actually, I think last week she actually retired, but she's staying on to help me. And this will be her final rug. But um, wow. I mean, Elizabeth Eakins rugs is going on, but she she's departing as director. Mm. But uh, so, you know, like that rug, that could have only have happened because I'm in this place and I'm in, I'm doing this room. And, you know, it's not something that I would have dreamt up in my studio for a client or so that's what's so I think special about this field that I'm in and the opportunities and, and the diversity. I mean, you know, working on this sort of concept house in Las Vegas and working on this historic residence in Washington at the same time, 
amongst the other projects, hotels and whatever. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's so fun that you can't retire yourself, right? You're just <laughs> right, exactly. You're just getting started. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. It's going to take you a long time to finish all the Blair House. So, let me say something that to designers, to um, any, well, to any designers who are listening. Um, and this is really, I think, the ultimate truth in terms of longevity. And, you know, the, the business of design, of interior design, sort of outweighs my days. I mean, it is. You know, I'm dealing with clients, contractors, monies, other people's money, our money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly the pandemic has been like the greatest challenge, you know, in my lifetime in terms of keeping everybody, keeping project going. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of work from a business sense that goes into it. So as a creative person, you have got to find the reward. You've got to find something that will carry you through years of being a business person and dealing with mm-hmm. all the things you deal with. So I think one of the important things is, and I tell, like when I talk to students, I'd say, you know, it's try to find your voice as soon as you can. You know, it's great. There are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, creative people who do really well. You know, they can do, they'll, they'll create, they'll do anything. They'll do Chinese modern. They'll do, you know, art deco. They'll do Williamsburg or whatever. Um, And they make a lot of money and you can be successful. But I think if you want to take, if you want to have a career and have personal, that personal power inside yourself, that energy, you got to find your voice and and allow the people who recognize it come to you and they will propel you and they will, I mean, the same, the, you know, I'm the same person that attracted Blair House that attracted these people in Las Vegas Mm -hmm. that that attracted, you know, you know, the, the hotels we're working on now when they're all very different vehicles, yeah. but they're connected to something. So, and that's really is what has propelled me. And I, it also gives me that freedom that people want. They want to hear my point of view and, you know, and it also makes me tough on myself. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like you got on the cable. Is it good enough? Is it, you know, is, you know, is this where I want to go? Cause this project's going to take two years. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be holding these people's hands for the next two years. So I want to lead them down the right path. So I think finding your voice is like a key to, yeah. to longevity, you know. Definitely. And nobody has the same voice as Thomas that we've seen in the industry. And then you kind of went and changed your voice because we were just at Baker um, at the new showroom and we hadn't been to market in two years because of the pandemic. So you uh-huh. might have you might have launched this collection last year. but In the spring. Yeah, oh, in the spring. Okay. Um, anyway, we're used to seeing his extraordinary work, usually dark woods paired with um, contrasting light fabrics, and it's so sharp and crisp and edited and thoughtful um, and minimal in a way, but everything's interesting enough to sort of stand on its own. And then mm-hmm. we walk into Baker, and there's this new collection that is woven and light and natural and based on photographs and inspiration that you saw is it Japan that you went to? Yes. Anyway, right. he had his cell phone images. I think they said there were, there were images you took on your phone blown right. up really large in the showroom and the floors are white and the walls are white and some are reeded and curved. 
And then this furniture is like in there spatially. And it's just like this spiritual experience. We were all like, stop talking. Shh. Just (laughs) hush. Take it in. Don't sit sit in it. Just look at it. (laughs) It was just like so extraordinary. And Sue and I were like, he went on an eat, pray, love journey. Something something happened in the great mind of Thomas Pheasant. And we got to get him on the the podcast because we want to hear it from his very own mouth. Will you talk to us about why the new yeah. collection is this the las sure. vegas house that inspired this or not not at all but no but that that's i mean it's a perfect story because it speaks mm-hmm. to my whole journey and and so what, well what happened was um mcguire had come to me and they said i hadn't launched a collection with them in a few years and and they're a fantastic company and they said you know Tom, we're kind of ready if you have any ideas. And I and my typical response when that happens, okay, well, let me get back to you. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've I I know that I can sit down at a table and create design furniture. I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of, I want, I want my collections to resonate and to 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 have a focus. And there's so much out there, you know, good, bad, mediocre. But there's just the world is we're bombarded with product. So, you know, just to put product out isn't as exciting, you know, it's, it's different. And, and I, I've learned a lot since I started. I started my first collection with Baker was in 2002. And then so it'll be 20 years. Next year, I'm actually in 2022, I'm introducing a new collection for the Baker Company, which will be my 20th anniversary. So that's exciting, but you don't know what that is. Yet. Oh, well, you we'll give see us, you at high. Point. Give us a hint, though. Can you give us a hint? <laughs> well, no. Well, let me get through. Okay. Get through okay. okay. Go through last spring, then we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. Go on. That's right. So, so, um, so, right after McGuire called me, uh, I I was in Paris. I spent a lot of time there, and um, and we have I was having dinner with friends, and um, the son of my friend Paul, who's an amazing guy, who does a lot of work in Japan. He says, Hey, my mom's birthday is coming up in November. It would be great if you guys would come to let's take her to Japan. We'll all have a great time. Huh. And we were like, you know, we were drinking wine and we were I in Paris. I was like, sure. So, <laughs> you, know, like. but, you know, but then I flew back to, to Washington. I was back in my work and it was like October and I get a call from a text from Paul going, okay, we're set, you know, November 8th, you know, please meet us at, you know, this airport, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, what did I commit to? So um, I thought about it. I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Japan. Paul is this amazing young guy. And I said, we're going. So the other thing that he said, he says, don't bring a suitcase. You can bring a carry on. And I'm going two weeks. I go, Paul, you don't know me. And he goes, well, trust me, just bring a carry on. So the good news was I just took a carry on and, and that we went, but it was probably the best two weeks certainly in a long time that I've had, because, you know, what was so interesting, I'm so comfortable in European cities and they've certainly inspired me and I talk about it all the time and it's true. And, um, but, you know, it's interesting when you go to another culture that has remained so intact, you know, and even though they celebrate modernism and they're, they're so advanced in so many ways, you know, uh, architecturally, you know, creatively, there's such a connection and link to the, their past and they just take that past and they just evolve it with the same foundation. So, you know, going there and not speaking the language, not being able to read, a, you know, a street sign. And the beauty of the two weeks was Paul had everything mapped up, mapped out for us. 
So I didn't really have to think. I was just a voyeur. And I just sucked in every day. And I used my iPhone. I took the most amazing pictures. And we went to a number of different places. We went to uh, Tokyo, of course, um, Kyoto, the countryside. To the, we went to some islands. Um, we went to Tsushima, uh, which is this amazing uh, island that has four art museums on it. And you, could, you stay on the island. And you're just there. And the museums are open 24-7. So we were wandering at midnight through these incredibly beautiful modern museums all by ourselves in this beautiful setting. So, so while I'm there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking pictures and I'm sketching out in my mind. I just zoned in on the beauty. And I was, you know, what I say is the new collection, it's not Tom Pheasant doing Japanese furniture. That's ridiculous. It's, it's just what Tom Pheasant took away. You know, what I saw in their mm-hmm. point of view and how I connected to it. And in a way... I mean, I think the the showroom and the collection has such a nice, strong, and beautiful look that you reacted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it does incorporate everything that I do or have done. It's just through a different lens, and and I, you know, I um, their ability to, for instance, I spent a lot of time in the gardens, and it was it was in the fall. So in Kyoto, it was just this like. It looked like Disney came in and painted every tree golden orange. Mm. It's like because it, you know, the the uh, the forests are just unbelievable. And you go whether you're going into a more formal garden or a more rustic garden, the Japanese have an incredible way of using materials of the of the garden into what they're doing. Whether it's the the cobblestones, the stonework, the 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 fencing, you know, it's all of the place. So everything kind of belongs and everything looks, even though everything is very planned and calculated, it looks like it it always should have been this way. It looks like, you know, in a way they are taming nature, but you feel like they're yielding. And it's a beautiful kind of relationship of man and nature that I had never really experienced before. And I, I mean, I'm so used to, and I, and I love it, you know, going into French formal gardens where we've, we've taken these plant materials and we've beaten them to a, to a fantastic pulp. I mean, you know, and we've, you know, we've got our fountains and our monuments and our, it's all fantastic, but this is just a very different experience. So you, and you see that sort of serene approach in fashion, in architecture, you know, it's just amazing. Even the more, and it can be very powerful, but it's quiet powerful. So, you know, when we were doing the showroom, uh, designing the showroom, all the furniture was pretty much underway and everything was approved and in, in, in the factories getting made. And um, I went to uh, the people in McGuire and I said, well, you know, I said, I, I, you know, I'd love to do something really unique with the space. So we took what was maybe eight, different rooms and I blew it all out and I painted the floors, the wood white, the walls white, because I wanted it just to disappear. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea of this bamboo fence that just serpentined and broke up the space. So I, you know, I also had another idea using drywall, but I kept that quiet <laughs> because I thought they're never going to do this bamboo wall. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, uh, but the guys, the people at McGuire, the, the creative team and everybody are so incredible. They're, 
they just responded so positively to the concept. And they ordered thousands of these bamboo rattan poles. No way. And they assembled, they were all assembled. I mean, they were finished in, in North Carolina. All of that was assembled on site mm-hmm. to, per my plan. And when I walked in, I went in, uh, I think I went down there a month before market just to check, make sure everything was all right. And I walked into the space and I had the same reaction you had. Yeah. Did you cry a tiny bit? Or a lot. You could cry a lot. I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. But I was just, but you know, it was like, wow. So I, um, so I'm very proud of them. But, but that is, but you know, again, whether I'm talking about stepping into Blair House um, or stepping into a garden in Kyoto, Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, getting a sense of the space and listening to the vocabulary, trying to connect with it rather than impose well, I'm going to bring Thomas Desen classical furniture to Japan. Um, you know, it's about being a listener and a viewer. And, and it's, um, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great way to kind of find your inspiration. I'm working on a book now um, of oh, photography. Thank goodness. Of, it, we needed another book. I was going to yeah, say, you do need another if book. you're not but, on it, get on it. <laughs> but it's, but, my, but it's, it's, the working title is, is called Seeking Beauty. And it's, it's, and it's all, it's really, there, there will be a, a, there'll be a sort of an introduction I'm going to write, but I really don't want really much else than an introduction. And I want the pictures to tell the story. Mm. And it's all pretty much photography that I've taken with my iPhone. Mm. And, um, and the final chapter, I'm going to do some of my newer projects just so, to kind of connect to how I take these yeah. moments of capture and translate them mm-hmm. into something else. And I, again, you know, I talk about, you know, inspirations, it's not replication. It's not like I go find a chair and then I draw the chair and have somebody make it. It's about having an experience and letting it like kind of sit inside you for a while and, and let it come out in some other form. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter that other people don't know, well, where'd you get this idea? You'll know it. And it's kind of like a, it's just, a, I think a, beautiful way to see the world and and i think so many people don't know how to see that's what's amazing you know because we're so caught up in um well first of all when you walk down the street most people are looking at their cell phones mm. but you know but it, it's funny when i'm with friends and we're traveling and they'll take these like big beautiful shots like you know and i'm taking all these like small shots mm-hmm. you know these intimate moments that i see and i you know and those moments really add up and they're you know they, they you know when i talk about finding your voice that's what kind of gives you that longevity. And, you know, it's like everything's new, mm-hmm. you know, you, you approach things with this kind of new energy and this new yearning to find something that, you know, and if you can do that, you know, and also talking, you know, we, when we talk about dealing with clients and engaging your clients, it's, um, I think it's important. It's, it, it's, um, our clients are really diverse, but I think if you can, romantically get them involved in the ideas and the concept you're trying to do. Not so much about selling them this sofa and this chair and this fabric. It's more about, you know, kind of winning them over to this bigger idea and then let it, because if you can do that, it's sort of like when I'm talking to my staff, you know, we, when we start a project, we'll sit down and I'll start, I'll, talk about, you know, what, what's my view? What is my, where do I want this to go? It's really to feed them some visuals and ideas so that they kind of get on board with me. So if they're out seeking fabrics for me or, or they're 
you know, searching for anything, they kind of, they already have the parameters of the vision that we're going for mm-hmm. you know, and including them in that. And that, you know, and also hoping that they pull, they bring something back mm-hmm. and, and it could be my staff, it could be my clients, but it's, um, it really does work. And it, you know, it, it's, a it's an amazing way to engage the team you need to build an interior. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love so. that. Um, talk to us about, um, just for any interior designers that are listening out there or anybody that loves to do this work for themselves, um, uh-huh. talk about your process a little bit. You talk about like um, understanding your vision and then sharing your vision with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like for you? Let's say let's say it's a remodel since that's what's uh-huh. really common um, out in the East. Um, yeah. what is, what's the process like for you? Okay. Well, okay. Um, well, actually, I'm, I just came back from Naples, Florida, and we're, we're doing a large remodel for an amazing house. And, um, and what I did was I spent the day just going through the, walking through the house, um, taking photographs, kind of daydreaming quite a bit. And I'm, I'm kind of bad, you know, I don't, when I'm in that zone, I'm not chatty. Like, I'm not the decorator or the designer who comes in with bold idea. You know, it's like, yeah. let me talk it up. I'm really kind of a loner. And I just think, and, uh, um, and so, and, and what I do is like, we come back to the studio, uh, lay out my photos. And then I start looking for um, inspiration. You know, I start like for this particular house, I'm going to research that particular type of architecture historically and find some, you know, some interesting things. Because what I will do is I want this house to feel like it was always that way. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Tom Pheasant didn't come in and design all this I mean, in terms of the building mm-hmm. that this was oh my god how lucky well, of course it looks beautiful all he had to do was buy furniture uh-huh. so that's what i go for and uh you know we uh, I, I did this incredible house one of my favorite projects um and favorite clients um i did a project in southampton and i had worked with this client um a couple uh, for a number of years and they wanted to buy a house in southampton and we, I went up there, I looked at every, we looked at so many houses and, you know, they were either too big, too small, not, the gardens weren't great, location wasn't perfect. I mean, it was always something. So um, I, this, I got a call from them. They were at this house. They said, Tom, you're not going to believe it. We're standing outside of the most beautiful house. We wish you were here. And she goes, and she goes, I don't want to go in because the outside is so beautiful. I don't want to be disappointed. Uh, you know, that's cute. And I said, I said, no, go in because you know what, if the house and the gardens are magical, we can, oh, we can do the inside. We can bring that inside. Uh-huh. So, and it was a house that um, it, it's an interesting house. It has a great history and it was um, Consuelo Vanderbilt's house. And she actually died in the house, I think in 1960. Mm-hmm. And it was her favorite sort of uh, place. Mm-hmm. And um, she lived there, I think her last decade of her life. And, but she had, and she had established these beautiful gardens and which are now, which that was in 1960. It had been purchased maybe by four people since then and kind of butchered, you know, mm-hmm. when you walk through it, you can see, oh, they did this in 1970 and they did this in the eighties and this looks nineties. So, so what we, so what we did was um, we, we ended up gutting the interior, took our vocabulary from the outside and we, I just created what I thought this house would have or should have been. And we had, uh, it was, it was a great experience. And when people go in today, you know, they, they 
give the house full credit for the interior design and, you know, which is great, but they just think that the house that, you know, they feel the house was always that way. Mm. So, um, but that's, but I think that's so great because again, it doesn't matter if the person who wants to move in, I mean, as long as you romantically connect to the, the, the building, the space, if you want a modern furniture, modern art, it'll work. You know, you can do it. Mm-hmm. If you if you want tradition, you can have it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, when those bones are great and you connect to it, that's really what you need. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so hard. It's hard for people with a lot of new construction. Mm-hmm. It's about a lot of like big square footage and drywall mm-hmm. and sort of overscaled or underscaled. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, oh, it's great, about, great rooms. So they're yeah, just like all, all connected. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you kind of, that's hard. That's hard to, that's hard to go in and fulfill without a sledgehammer, (laughs) you know? And um, so anyway, so that's my approach. So again, I just start with the spaces themselves and I I fantasize about what they'll look. And I don't really think about the furniture at all until I'm sort of, I'm on my way, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. um, That'll come. Yeah, Definitely. Oh. What, what what else do the what else do the people want to know about Thomas? Oh man, you're such a well, great storyteller. I know. I'm like the story that we were just kind of going back and forth of just like things that we read about you and and Jess brought up when you were in Paris. Oh, and yes. just the, I read the story well, about how yeah. you're walking the streets and passing the real estate offices yes. and finally got to the last one and you yeah. went in. Will you tell that story? I just want to sure. hear I want to hear romance you say of Thomas it, yeah, in Paris. instead of me. Let's go there. <laughs> and do you still well, have do you still have the Paris home? Oh, yes. Yes. And oh, how, yeah. how often do you get there? Well, you know what? That's that's the sad story because of the, we haven't we're go, I'm going back in December. Okay. I haven't been, I haven't been there in two years. Oh, oh that's painful. That is hard. How, what's that's normal for you pre-pandemic? How often? Okay. What's go? normal? I would say maybe 16 to 20 weeks a year. Good for you. That's awesome. When I was there, you were talking to Paul about going to Japan, right? That's right. In Paris. <laughs> so that's right. Magical <laughs> things happen in Paris. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And I want you to tell everybody why you love Paris so much, what it does for your spirit and your soul. Well, I, I you know, it's just it's just the most beautiful city. And you know, it's it's um there's you know, I wander, I walk the streets constantly. It's you know, going it's funny here in the States. You know, if you go to the supermarket, you get in your car, even if the supermarket's four blocks, yeah. <laughs> there, I will walk, I will walk for 45 minutes to get the baguette that I like, because I like the shop. I like the people, uh-huh. you know, That's and cute. it could be raining in winter and I'm still going to do it. It's just, a di- <laughs> I become a different person. I, I do. I become a different person. Tom the and, Adventure. I go there. <laughs> and you know, it's like there, I, I live two lives. I have, you know, I, I'm here in Washington and I'm a, a workaholic in a way and it's great. Um, and then I go to Paris and I, I sleep nine hours every night. Like from the first night, I sleep nine hours mm. and that's just the way it is. And then yeah, I get up. Happy for Paris, Tom. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know. And I get up and then I kind of like, you know, get my day started and then I go out and then, you know, I'll eat dinner, eat dinner, you know, at 10 or whenever. And yeah. I actually eat lunch there. I mean, mm, today yeah. I don't think I. Lunch. What's that like? Tell us. <laughs> tell us about what's <laughs> lunch. What it's like to eat lunch <laughs> right. in Paris. Well, yeah. It, tell us what right. eating lunch in Paris. Well, right. the nice thing, the, one of the most wonderful things about Paris that you learn very quickly is that getting wonderful food at any price is simple. 
I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there are places, you know, if, if the weather's great, I love to just get up, go to a couple of the places that I like to take out, get food to take out and, and just sit in the parks and people watch and think and sketch. Um, so, and our, our apartments in the, um, near Saint-Germain-de-Pre were on the left bank. So, oh, but let me tell you the story because then that yeah. leads us into why. Yeah. Right? Take us there. Okay. So okay. we were in Paris and, uh, the only reason we were in Paris was my partner and I was, I was supposed to install a project and the, uh, to the, to no surprise, the contractor was running late. So the, the installation got pushed back a month. So all of a sudden I had this like after holiday gap where I didn't have appointments because I thought I was going to be at this installation. So we just decided, let's go to Paris. It was, you know, let's do it. So we went and it was winter, but it was, it was great. It was cold. So we stayed at the Creon and we, um, you know, went to museums. We did everything all the tourists and Americans love to do. And um, we were having lunch there we go. We were actually having lunch. Cheers. And we were having wine with lunch, of course. And we stepped out. It was a beautiful day. It was crisp, but like just sunny and beautiful. And we were in the left bank and we were standing at the corner waiting for it to cross. And I turned around and there was this uh, real estate office with all these photographs of apartments and houses. They're all amazing. And I'm looking at them. And I'm, I said, you know what? Let's go in there and find out. I want to see what one of these places is really like. I'd love to see what like a Paris apartment and, and you know, this arrondissement looks like. So I walk in and there's this very attractive young woman with her headphones on, on her computer. She doesn't look at me. And I say, excuse me, um, I'm curious if there are any apartments available in this neighborhood. And she, without looking at me, she says, well, what are you interested in? And I said, well, I'd love something, maybe a two bedroom. I, I love light. So, um, you know, I, I, I want sort of a traditional styled apartment architecturally and with lots of light and views if I can get it. She says, and she just doesn't look at me and she goes, well, that's what all you Americans want. Period. Stop it. End of conversation. Oh, so it's gosh. true. I'm so there's kidding. like 15 seconds of silence. So I had a card from the hotel that I was staying at that had, you know, that had my name on it. They give it to you when you check in with the room number. Mm-hmm. So I hand her the card. I said, well, if something comes up, I'm here for the next five days. You know, let me know. So we went on with our day, had a great day. We get back to the hotel early evening and, and um, there's a message from the real estate office saying, and it was a record, uh, message, text, a uh, voice message, just saying that Mr. President, we've, we, um, after you left, an apartment came up. Um, I can show it to you tomorrow at two. If you can't make it, I'll show it to other people. Click. I'm like, oh, wow, this is a, this is a tough group. So, so my partner goes, well, we're not going to go. And I go, yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So we did. So we we got up, we we got up the next morning, uh, spent, I had a great morning. And then we walk over and we stand in front of this building and it's like, oh, it's on a great, it's on Boulevard Sangerman. It's, you know, in a great location on the boulevard and um, great stores on the bottom and shops. and, And so the agent comes, she we get, we walk into the building and I'm like, Oh my God, I felt like I was getting a fever because I literally felt this like wave of heat that started at my feet and it was going into my head. And we, we get in this elevator and we're going up and literally that's what I felt this like, Oh my God, this energy. And um, we go to the doors, these pair of black or green doors. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And we walk in and immediately in front of us is this Formica 
wardrobe that's nailed to a wall. And it was literally, I literally crashed. It was like, <laughs> boom. But I turned and this entry hall had a pair of French doors and the view looked over the set, like beyond the Seine to Sacre Coeur in the distance. It was like magical. <laughs> and I came back, I got the wave again. And so we start walking through the apartment. We, we got about halfway through and she turned to me and she goes, well, I have another appointment. What do you think? I said, well, I haven't seen the whole apartment. And she goes, well, you know what? I have to go, just go through. You have my number. Let me know. And she left. So we were in the, we stayed in the apartment. I'm not kidding. Four hours. Wow. Neither of us, we didn't, we weren't even talking to each other. We were just walking around like zombies looking. And my mind is going, what am I, well, what am I doing? And, uh, you know, you know, I, I, it's so hard for me to squeak a vacation out because I'm so busy all the time. Yeah. And what are the chances that I would actually, you know, get away, fly to Paris regularly to get away. But my, I was so excited about the potential of this apartment. And there was some really, part of the apartment had been brutalized, but some of the apartment, the main salon was really intact and quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just said, you know what? I want to see if I can tie this up. So I contacted one of my clients who was a banker and he helped me tie it up for a few days. And I flew back, we flew back to DC and, uh, which was good because I, I just got to get out of Paris to get my head back on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I just, I couldn't stop. We got back and we decided, I said, you know what, we're going to do this. I mean, I work all the time. I, you know, the worst that can happen is we don't use it and we let go of it. So, um, so I flew back to Paris two weeks later and we, did, we went through all the paperwork and, and um, we, that was in 2001. And so, and we renovated the apartment. Of course, you know, that was really unbelievable. So we're, I'm, I, when I go back, you know, now we, we've got the apartment. I walk up and when I was in there the first time, what I said was to my partner, I said, well, you know what? I think we just paint it. I'm just going to go to the flea market. We'll get some like inch fun furniture and we'll see for a year. By the time I got back to Washington, before I got back on the plane back to Paris, we had, my office, we'd already redesigned the apartment. so and i was and i designed the furniture for it so we so we i flew back to paris we we got it going we found this a contractor and um who actually had been working for one of my clients a few doors down a few apartment buildings that's fortunate that was very fortunate yeah um and so uh but it's been a love affair with the city and i've met so many i mean it's you know i think what it does and again speaking as a from a business, a creative business person point of view, you know, we really, you really get caught up in the business of your work. Like I said before, and, you know, uh, my studio is kind of my, my world and so much happens there. And, um, but you get very, you alienate yourself in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, you become very isolated and your world is your clients, your contractors, your staff and Mm -hmm. the, and, you know, I think that the, the decision to remove myself physically and go to another city was the best decision we made personally, but also professionally, because it just takes me out of my own head. And it just, you know, I, like I say, how is it possible that I sleep nine hours there and at home, I'm lucky if I get six hours sleep before I'm waking and I'm doing my to-do list in my head before I get up. Yep. So, you know, like everybody else. So, you know, we're, so it's, it's been great. And you know, the, 
the exposure to the culture and the beauty of the city and, you know, the, the love they have for the creative energy of France, the, the French have this incredible love and support for artists. Mm. And I, we, you know, as advanced as the U.S. is, we don't do it the same way. We don't give artists vehicles. We don't support them economically to produce. And, you know, um, and that was part of my, my, when I talked about Blair House and I was talking to them about, listen, we've got to move on. We've got to bring creative people Americans who are valuable to us now into this building. We've got to celebrate them. Brilliant. We got to give them. We got to give them a platform. That's brilliant. You know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so and, and I learned that from you know honestly from the French, but um I and seeing how it really works. You know, we don't have the government support that they have, but we if we have to do it privately, then we do it privately. But uh, so That's but it's, really it's, great. it's great. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Okay, one last question and then we'll let you go. Um, we ask everybody that comes on the podcast the same question and it is, how do you define luxury? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think, well, there's, I think there's a lot of ways to do that I know, for me. It's a hard one. It's, it's, it's a hard stuff. thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I, I, I said in my book, I, I, um, we were doing an apartment in New York and, um, for the, I showed up this picture and it's this beautiful uh, on Central Park South and it's got this immense view of Central Park and you walk into the to the living room and you're just like on a cloud and I, and I wrote um, luxury is sp- space to breathe mm. you yeah, know and it is and, it's that, and and I think and that's what Paris gives me mm. you know it doesn't you know whether you have a small efficiency or a gorgeous apartment or a residence it's just having that to me now luxury is that ability to Take yourself someplace where you can breathe and think and, you know, find yourself. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not about buying um, the best watch. Or the, I mean, that's wonderful. Those are, that's just fun. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily change you in a way that you need to be changed, right? Yeah, so. beautiful answer. I love oh, that. You win. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Thomas doesn't you win. win. You win. You win by having a Paris apartment. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Our listeners are going to love this and love you. Again, oh, if you guys want to check out his work, um, he's got a beautiful book, Thomas Pheasant, Simply Serene, a great Instagram handle, um, Thomas Pheasant, and anything anywhere else they can find your work. Obviously, Baker. Um, for to the trade baker and mcguire McGuire. Mm-hmm. and also i have my own studio collection which is fun um, oh. i'm work I'm, I'm working with a uh, it's and the studio collection is different because it's really um it's through our studio but it's pieces that uh, i just create them out of inspiration mm-hmm. and they're mostly limited or unique pieces and i've had so much fun with it um, cool. and i'm working with uh i'm doing a showroom in new york for a group called uh, par excellence which is mm-hmm. Through my French connections, it's a group of French artisans um, that have come to New York and they're amazing. Cool. They're ironwork, marble, um, millwork, um, lighting. And so we're, I'm using them uh, to create the interiors. So it's it's kind of like it's a dream job. It's like I have all these like beautiful things that I can mm-hmm. pick from and work with these great artisans. And we're going to create this. It's an apartment and we're going to just outfit it like a, a dream job. So, I mean, and so, and so I'm working with them. And, and so with the studio furniture is like, I find artisans that I like and I see what they do. And I try to create something using their craft or their abilities, as opposed to designing a chair and saying, can you make this? It's kind of, 
learning from the artisan first and then creating. So um, that's beautiful. That's, yeah. that's what I do in my spare time. Uh, I know you design so much of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you much for, for joining us. This has been our treat for sure. You're oh, just so inspirational. Awesome. Great, well, Great to meet you both. Thank you. Yes. And we'll catch you guys next time. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating.